Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. And if you recall from last week, Jesus' brothers had been urging him to go up to this feast of booths and publicly proclaim himself. And Jesus basically told them, I'll go when I'm ready to go. And so he sent them on ahead of him. And it says in verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth, and there is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Let's pray together. Lord, your Holy Spirit is welcome here into our hearts this morning. Lord, because you are that which we long for. We can have everything this world can throw at us, Lord, and without you we have nothing. So Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit today and teach us to live obediently, constantly seeking your wisdom and your guidance above all other voices in this world. Lord, there are so many things we can bring to you in prayer this morning. And we offer them to you. We lift up anyone who is having health problems and are waiting for doctor's orders or to find answers for them. We lift up Suzanne Helen and pray for her healing and strength to get through this latest health challenge. And we also pray, Lord, for the family of Warren Byerly and his family following his sister's death. And for Ralph Clendenin and his family following the death of his father. And also for Jay Quimby mourning his father. And Lord, for the family of Marilyn Gullickson, we ask that you'd grant her family peace as they journey through grief in the midst of her death as well. Lord, we thank you for the great work that's been done by our youth team as they just returned from South Dakota. Many were blessed by their hard work and all the ways they were able to reach out in your name. And Lord, we continue to lift up the ministries of this church as we seek to reach out with love. We lift up the ministry of FLY. Lord, as they work hard to serve those kids' lunches, and Lord, for our team, as we prepare to go to Haiti one more time, Lord, we pray, God, that you would bring all the resources, both in terms of financial and those of terms of prayer, God, everything that we need, we know will be given because of your power. So, Lord, allow us to be in ministry, Lord. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to be a light shining in the darkness, Lord, in this world. So God, with hearts that are focused on you and your word, 
And Lord, minds that are often preoccupied by questions and fear. Lord, we come to you with the prayer that you taught us. Knowing that it is a model prayer. And that within it we find all that we need. We pray it today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Call your attention to our Bishop Julius Calvin Trimble writes from the perspective of an African-American male. And he sent us, uh, all the pastors in the conference, this poem that he wrote uh, this past week uh, that showed the struggle that we've had through racism throughout the the years. And I I want to tell you two things about that. A long time ago, I heard a comedian who happened to be African-American, and he said this. You know, we've tried racism for hundreds of years, and let's just grapple with the fact that it didn't work. So let's just be done with that. And I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ's words that are a lot more potent. He says, in him, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there's no female, there's no male, there's no black, there's white. Um, We are all God's children. So let's not get so concerned with how much melanin people have in their skin. And let's concern ourselves with how their heart is. And their heart is, 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 of course, uh, originates at the very throne of God. And so let's treat each other uh, well, because we can, and it's what Christ calls us to do. So, so God bless you as we struggle with that, which is in front of us, of course, every single day. And then one, <clears throat> one more point, just of a little privilege of mine I'm going to take. A couple weeks ago, I was not in worship because I was at the Iowa Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. A lot of things happened during the course of that event, but one thing that's my favorite uh, that happened there was, and that was that Bishop Trimble, who I mentioned previously, appointed me to be the pastor at Marion First United Methodist Church for another year. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Now, now for those of you, for those of you that have been around a long time, that means it's just not going to change. So sorry about that. For those of you that are just coming in here, I, I tell you this because it's simply true. If I, God willing, make it through this year in ministry, I will have been the pastor longer uh, of, than any other human being of this congregation. So I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. And frankly, I'm just warming up. So let's go. <laughs> I'm going to jump right back in where the gospel left off, where Pastor Keith took you up to last week and start working our way uh, on through the gospel of John. What we find in this conversation is we see Jesus engaged in the temple courts with some Jewish teachers. And they're having a little bit of back and forth. And, and I always look at Scripture and say, how does that read today? What does that mean today? And so I ask the question, what are the Jewish leaders talking about? And what they're talking about is credentials. They're basically saying to Jesus, what credentials do you have and where did you get them? What credentials do you have and, and where did you get them? And, and so, of course, that brings to us the question, what makes this credible? What credentials make us credible? Let me tell you a little story. He's not here today, Mary, so you make sure that you tell, Abby, you make sure I talked about your dad right here, all right? You probably heard about this on the way in. 
Uh, a while ago, because my daughter uh, was a dancer at Iowa State, I would, and I was paying tuition at Iowa State, so I would go to the Iowa State football games over the last four years. And one day it came to pass, I thought, well, I'm going to go down on the field and just say hi to the girls because I've been cheering them on for, for a number of years. And my seats are up in a different area code than the rest of Ames. So after I made the long walk down there, there was a fellow standing there in front of the steps down on the field like this. And he was, you know, twice the size of normal human beings. And I walked down there and he says, uh, sir, you know, because I've got gray hair and bald, sir, can you go back to your seat? And I started walking back up and, and, and Bill was, who has better seats than me uh, and has been real involved in Iowa State for most of his life, came to me and said, do, do you want to go down on the field? I said, well, yes, I do. And he had a lanyard around his neck and he put a lanyard around my neck and we went down the very same guy standing there. And when he saw Bill's lanyard, he does one of these. He opens the gate and lets us walk right in. Come on down, gentlemen. Well, seeing if it is, see, Billy had the right credentials. I didn't have the right credentials to get on the field, but Bill had the right credentials. His credentials made him credible. They made him credible. I, I think our, we like people with credentials, don't we? When I go to my doctor, who's also my friend, my dentist, uh, Tim Michaels, I, I'm grateful when he comes into the examination room that he's not wearing a tool kit that has a pipe wrench and tinner's tools and a big ball-peen hammer in it, right? I'm grateful that he's got all the right tools, but that doesn't make him a good dentist. What, what makes him credible as a credentialed dentist is that when I look at the wall over there and I see that he's graduated most likely with highest distinction from the University of Iowa School of Dentistry those are the credentials that make him credible to fix whatever I've got going on in here. What credentials do you have and what makes them credible? That's what the Jews are asking to Jesus. They're saying, you have no credentials. How do you know? You have no letters. How do you know what you're talking about? And so the question then is, as it says on the screen, are your credentials impressive? Now, I went to a seminary called Iliff. Iliff is a smaller school that's tucked over onto the side of the University of Denver. Some of my friends went to schools that are named Duke, Harvard, and Yale. And they kind of tease me about my seminary. Every once in a while we'll get in some theological dispute and they'll disagree with me and say, well, don't worry about what Mike did. He went to Iliff. That's like the theological equivalent of getting a... GED, all right? Kind of hurts my feeling. But but what we understand about the whole idea of credentials being impressive, if you watch the Big Bang Theory, you'll know exactly what I mean when I say the president of the university walks in and says, doctor, 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 mister, all right? Kind of a put down if you don't have a doctorate degree because you don't have the credentials that are impressive. See, the rabbis that Jesus is talking with don't believe in self-teaching. They want to know what school he went to. Does it have the right marks on it? They want to know what rabbi he followed. You see, because back in those days, it's who you were a disciple of. You were a disciple of a certain rabbi, and one rabbi had a higher profile than another. They wanted to know who his rabbi was, what his teaching was. And Jesus says this to him: Listen, I'm not self-taught. Listen carefully. I'm not self-taught. I'm that which is taught. You see, 
The subject of the seminary doesn't need to attend seminary. When Jesus says, I I am he of which you're taught, when you talk about the beginning of the world, I was before the beginning of the world. So when you read about creation in the first part of your book called Genesis, that's me that's doing that when it says, in their image, I'm part of the there. When, when we go into the books of the law, when you listen to the, to, to the words of Moses the prophet, who is giving the law to you, I'm the one that wrote them. When you read about the history of the Jewish people and you see David and Solomon and Samson and the judges and all the patriarchs, the history that they're pursuing, the God that they're pursuing is me. When you read in the books of poetry the things that David says about God, he's talking about me. When you hear the prophet saying, come back to God, repent of your ways, he's talking about me. I am the one the teachings are about. Therefore, the subject of the seminary need not go to seminary. I'm the source of everything. Jesus says that that God is the one from which all these things come. And I don't seek my own glory. I only seek to glorify Him. And what Jesus says then is inseparable from the one who sent Him, which is God Himself. See, Jesus wasn't trained under a rabbi. In fact, if the rabbis were authentic and doing it right, they were all trained under Him. And this is the biblical truth. If the rabbis were doing it right, all the training was under Jesus. But the leaders reject Jesus as Lord. And therefore, they're rejecting God. And therefore, they say his credentials are wrong. Now, I believe in, in looking at Scripture for a long time and trying to understand its theological meanings and its richness and trying to, per, 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 to share that with you. And I also believe this, that every Scripture I come upon has a practical meaning. What is the practical meaning that's in this scripture today? And and here's what I see as the practical meaning. Only the person who does the will of God can truly understand God's teaching. Only if you're willing to do the will of God can you understand God's teaching. Now, this is not a theological truth. It's a universal truth. We learn by doing things, right? We learn by doing. This isn't just a a Bible truth or something you learn in church. It's the way of the world everywhere. In, in Christianity, the best way for us to learn is to do. Now, let me give you a little example. Years ago, when relations between China and, and the U.S. were difficult, when China was a real hardcore communist country, they wanted to learn about the U.S. so they could get trade relationships with us. So one of the leaders of the Communist Party took these five scholars and said, look, these Americans are crazy about this football. This game of football, we don't have football in China. We need to learn what football's all about. So go master football. So they took the football rule book of circa whatever year that was in the 60s, and they studied it. And they reported back to, <clears throat> to their leader, say, look, we've got it. We, we have learned and mastered football. We know what first and ten is. We know what pass interference is. We know what a safety blitz is. We even know situations about down and distance. We have mastered football. Yet, they had never been outside a conference room. They had not stood on a gridiron nor p- touched a pigskin in their hands. How possibly could they have mastered football without ever playing a game? You can't. You learn by doing. 
A quick question. There's an audience, a congregation participant. How many of you have bought a computer in the last 15 years? Just of any kind. Surface, iPad, anything. All right, good. You're the people I need to talk to. So when you buy a computer, and, and you know this is true. You, when you buy a computer, you get two books with it, right? You open the box. I got a Surface not too long ago. You get two boxes, two books in there. One is the 300-page nerd-oriented manual, right? There's only seven people in the U.S. that have ever read the manual for my Microsoft Surface. And I was not one of it. So when I got that out, you know, I did what you did. I threw it away, okay? It's not going to do me any good anyway. But there was a second instructions in there. These are the ones you follow too, and you know I'm telling you they're right. It's in cellophane. It unfolds like those maps we used to have in geology class. It unfolds, and it's pictures, Okay? And the first picture has, has a picture of, of the, the prongs on the outlet. And it says, shove it into one that it fits on your wall, right? And it goes through, put the cord here, and then turn on the, the, the device, and it'll start telling you stuff. Because the people in Seattle figured out, hey, we weren't ever going to read that book. That book wasn't for people like you and me. Maybe a few of you, but it's not for me anyway. So, so those pictures work. And here's how I've learned to use my Microsoft Surface, probably the same way you've learned your computers, your iPads, to some extent. I learned by getting into it. I started doing stuff, and then I said, hey, I need to learn a little bit more. And then you, you, you research, and you, and you find stuff out. We get started with what we know to that point, and then we do. Isn't that how we, we do stuff? We, we learn to know more. Because we want to know more. That's the same with skiing, with carpentry, with anything. You start doing some stuff and saying, I need to know this. And then you either find out from someone that knows more about it or you study up on it. We learn as Christians by doing. Because if we want to understand everything before we start, we'll never start at all. Keith said something very similar to that a few weeks ago right here. If you want to understand everything before you start, you'll never start. I was out in the hallway. Earlier, uh, let me preface this. At our last service, which is why we were late, we had this huge celebration of our independence, and we had flags all over. Like, And don't you love them when you came up, all the flags that were outside? If you came up on 8th or 12th Street, there's just an avenue of flags out there. We celebrated our country, and going backwards in time to the end of February, the groom at the wedding we were having in here was in his full military dress uniform. I was standing out there in the hall with him, and I was talking to him about his job. He's an MP in Hawaii. That's his station of duty right now. So that's cool. But I remember James saying this. He was just finishing his third year. He says, you know, Mike, it's an interesting thing. I had no idea how much I loved my country until I started to serve it. I thought that was really an important point. He probably loved being a U.S. citizen, but he had no idea how much until he started doing it. See... You can't learn everything about stuff before you start. I, I remember I'd been a pastor. I was 22, 23 years old. And I'd only been on staff at this church for three weeks. And like most pastors, I was cutting my tooth, teeth as a youth person because, well, you know, usually they send the young into youth ministry because they still have hair, right? So if you just lose it, bro, you can... <laughs> And, and, and so, so they send you right into youth ministry. And three weeks into my first gig in Colorado Springs, my, my senior pastor said, oh, you know, I forgot to tell you when we hired you on, but we always send a lot of kids to Christian camp. You're the director of it. And there will be 120 junior high students there. I'm like, yay. 
I had never, you know, I was a baseball player in Iowa High School. In Iowa High School, we play our baseball in the summer. So I'd never been to a Christian camp. I'd been to a church retreat here or there, but I'd never been to a week of Christian camp. I really didn't know what, what, it, was, what it was about. And, and, I, and I tell you this, if I'd known what it was about, I, I, I don't know. I could have gone either way. But there were some high points there. You know, when I got up there, and you, you don't have just like, you know, Bible school, you have a, a Bible study in the morning. When you're directing a camp, you have Bible study in the morning, Bible study in the afternoon, Bible study in the evening, and you have to fill all these little guys' activity up. And trust me on this, because I learned it the hard way, they have a lot more energy than you have program, okay? But I fell in love with camping because of this. I found out that students that went to Christian camps got more than a year's worth of Sunday school as far as teaching there, because they were away from everything else. But I also learned that I didn't know everything. I thought at 23, I knew everything about junior high kids. And so one night they came to me. We were kind of between, the, between supper and the Bible study. We had a couple hours before the <clears throat> campfire worship started. They came to me and said, Pastor Mike, can we play hide and go seek? I said, sure. <laughs> What's the rules? I said, stay in the camp. 158 acres on the side of Pikes Peak. I say this to junior high kids in the dark. That's the only rule I have. I did not specifically say, whatever you do, do not climb on top of the dining hall roof. Wedge yourself in the vent to the kitchen stove so we won't find you. I did not say that. I did not know you had to say these kind of things. But they did. And we could not find them. We said, all they all in free for half an hour. And finally I said, well, we came up here with 120. I guess 118 will do okay. <laughs> Eventually they squiggled out of that thing, smelling like bad hamburgers and hot dogs. And said, I said, I got to say, I, I started Christian camping before I knew everything about it. So I was learning it as I was doing it. And if I'd have known they were going to do that, I don't know if I'd have signed up for this. But, but Christians, we learn Jesus' will by doing it, even before you understand it all. We get so worried about, I don't know enough to teach a Bible class. I don't know enough how to pray. Just begin doing Jesus' will, and you'll learn more as you do it. Because I will tell you this, I can't run as fast as I can right now, but I know a lot more about Christian camping after 33 years of doing it than I did the first time. And that's true of all the things. It's true of our discipleship and everything. In Christianity, the way to learn is to do. Begin doing God's will as you know it right now. However far you've gotten in your faith, wherever you're at, if you're in a first grade faith or a, or, or a master's degree level faith, just start doing God's will and the truth will become clear to you more and more each day. The truth is, and I know this to be true, you're never going to understand it all. I don't, you won't. Just start where you start with what you know and live the Christian life. And as you live the Christian life, you're going to crave to know it more. You will know more. You'll do more as the days go by. And I want to give you this piece of instruction. When you don't know what to do, always error on the side of offering mercy to other people. Because as the Lord says, and this is part of the heart of the scripture today, mercy is magnificent. 
Mercy is magnificent. We all want it. I'm reminded of the story. Maybe I've told it before. I've been here 12 years. How can I remember everything I've said in all those sermons, right? I told this story, I'm sure, somewhere else where there was a a grandmother of the bride and she went to her beautician and she sat in the chair and told her, told her beautician that my granddaughter's getting married this week. I, I want you to look my best. And the beautician said, ma'am, I guarantee you, I'll do you justice. And she said, I don't want justice, I want mercy. <laughs> right? We understand that because that's what we all want. We don't want justice, we want mercy. I'll tell you what, if I get justice, it doesn't go well for my soul. I want mercy. We, we all want mercy in every single part of our lives. Mercy is the noun, the things that the scriptures tell us that we can be about doing. It's what we can reach out to people with. You see, knowing God's law is not God's full intention for us. Now, now let me be clear. You are to know God's law. There's no excuse for not knowing it. It's in the scriptures. You can, can read on it. You can learn on it. But knowing the law by itself is is not fully and completely enough. See, the teachers of the law that we're interfacing with Jesus in this scripture today, they love the law of Moses. They, they, they laid on it night and day. They knew the law so clearly, and yet, even though they knew it, they were trying to break it. In Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not kill. What was their deal? They're trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to, to, to break their own commandment, even though they know. And so, see, what I'm telling you, and, and I want you to hear this, knowing is not simply enough. You have to take what you know about God's law and marry it to your doing. You absolutely have to marry it to your doing. See, Jesus is always looking for the best way to grant people mercy. He loves people. And when he finds us, like we found him along the, along the way in John, he finds a woman at the well who's got five different husbands living with a different guy. He finds a guy that, that, uh, in Bethsaida that, that's broken physically. He finds a guy whose who's, who's, uh, child has died. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is what you've done wrong. This is what you've got to get right. Here's what the law says you do. No, he looks at him like a loving parent like, like, and, and like we should do. And he says, how is it that I can grant them mercy? What ways can I grant mercy that will help them the most? That's not a law thing. That's a love thing. See, people matter to God. And because people matter to God so much, he grants them mercy. And so I want you to hear this and be very careful because, you know, we've been in the news a lot. Religion can ruin Christianity. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Religion can ruin Christianity. Christians are supposed to be Christ imitators, Christ followers. Not legalistic, dogma-pushing, doctrine-waving, Bible-hurting people. Our our job is to be Christ-like. We're to be in pursuit of imitating Christ's behavior in all things. And therefore, Christians are to extend mercy in all situations. One of my buddies, Mike James, who's also a summer games pastor, is out on a sabbatical. He sent me a book. It's about the primitive Methodists. That's the Methodists that started this whole thing. And he said the primitive Methodists believe, this is what the book says, not what Mike says, although he agrees with it. 
Primitive Methodists believed that mercy was the life work of a disciple. And here's the works of mercy. Do good, okay? Visit the sick in prison, the people that are broken and hurting. Feed and clothe people. Earn, save, and give all that you can. And oppose slavery. 300 years ago, that was the work of the Methodists. The point being, mercy is a noun. Mercy is something you do. You may do it without the full knowledge of what the will of God is. But what you do know is that God is merciful and just. And therefore, Christians extend mercy. It's what Christians do. We extend compassion. We offer pity. We, we encourage benevolence. We offer, usher in forgiveness. Christians, you see, mercy is your life work. And here's how we know. It was given to us. You see, we don't deserve what the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. The Lord Jesus Christ came on the earth because we were so broken and we were in such great need of mercy. So he came to show us the way. And though people repelled him, including these ones that we're talking about in the scripture, he allowed himself to be killed. And so mercy is shown to us by his overwhelming sacrifice that happens on the cross, the central figure of every Christian sanctuary. Because he was willing, as it says in Scripture, for God to love the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but live eternally. Christ gave himself as a sacrifice for all of our sins that we might receive God's merciful grace upon our souls. And let me tell you that. That's what love wins means. You know, you and I have lived in the world and you've probably, like me, gotten a lot of stuff that says hashtag love wins right now. And, and I think it would be without courage if I came to you on Sunday morning and didn't address this thing that is part of our life together as Americans and as Christians. I, I wanted to talk to you about this, this, this vote briefly that the, the Supreme Court took. It was a, it was a five to four decision. And, and I think it's important for us to look at that because if we as a congregation were to vote, our vote would probably be very similar, five to four, four to five, depending on how you look at it and what perspective you bring to that particular issue. Because you see, we're the Methodists, and we do the most odd thing. You know, long ago when Methodist, Methodism started, what John Wesley wanted was not a narrow version of Christianity, but a broad version of Christianity. And so within our community, we have those that you can put the labels on them that might feel very far to whatever's called the left, very far to what that's called the, the, the right, and, and very many that are in the center, okay? And what Wesley said is, we may not agree with every single tittle and tot in, in all of Christianity or how we examine ourselves, but what we do agree on is the essentials of the faith, which is Christ crucified, Christ resurrected and that he brings mercy to all that is how love wins and i am sure i am sure as a congregation that we are troubled by this and there's much conversation that needs to come because this concern that none of us wanted to have as the central focus of our church the idea and the discussion around human sexuality and 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 the difficult understanding and the nature of that thing that 
influences all of us. And when we think about human sexuality, all of these concerns and issues have skin on them for us. And some of that skin is greatly beloved to us, people that we care for and love. Our our conversation needs to be open and it needs to continue. And we need to think how it is in a house that has a division that we can continue after the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You see, I have for 12 years stood in this place and said, we must have a biblical worldview. So I was a little bit taken by surprise when all over Twitter feed and everywhere else, there was this idea, hashtag love wins. Because I will say this as a Christian and as a man, love has not yet won When nine people can go to a Bible study in their own church and welcome someone else in and they are murdered by him. Love has not yet won in our country when a woman that does the same job as you or I do that are male makes 75 cents on the same dollar for doing the same job. Love has not yet won when 17,000 people last month, children, were killed, were, died in America by preventable diseases because we had neither the inclination or the insistence that those things be approached. Love has not won when the number of prisoners in the state of Iowa keeps multiplying exponentially. See, the reminder that I want to give you here today, regardless of how you light on this issue, because I know I light in a certain, land in a certain place, and some of you land beside me, some of you land in a different place, but what I want to remind you about this is as Americans, we Christians are obedient to the courts, but love is not granted by the courts, it's granted by the cross, and the cross of Jesus Christ, Him crucified. You see, our country has been broken for a long time. It is neither against the law and sometimes even embraced to break seven of the Ten Commandments. Look them up. You can look them up this afternoon and say, wow, Pastor Mike was right. Seven of these we see broken every week on television or in our circle of friends and family. So, so we need to be clear about what this is all about. Is Love is not legislated. In a courtroom. It's given to us on the cross. And love will only win. Regardless of the issue. Love will only win. When that great day comes. When every knee will bow. And every tongue confess on heaven and in earth. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That. Is when love. Will have completely. And totally. Won. We we come. We come to love not by voting, not by writing a majority or a minority report. We come to love by by taking the merciful love that we've received from Jesus Christ and multiplying it in the world in which we live. And that, that is the work of doing mercy. That is to be the work of our lives. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I charge you, to that life. Let's pray. God, we come as people that have many things going on in our lives, our hearts, and our minds. And we ask, Lord, that you just push those things aside 
Insert yourself in our hearts and our minds and allow us to be about pursuing you and only you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a look at what's on the screens. There's a lot of things that that make Marian Methodist special to us. Um, I think one of the things that really kind of hooked us when we started uh, coming here was uh, that the sermons are very Bible-based and and that they still find a way to really make them current and apply them to, you know, we can apply them to our lives very easily. You know, we come away every week feeling like if something, you know, we can, we've learned, we can, we can take with us. Um, we give to Marian Methodists for, for many reasons, but I think the, the biggest thing is that, that we feel like we, we actually get more from, from this church than we could ever possibly give, um, whether it's children's programs or, you know, just a place to, to learn about God and have fun and, and a safe environment. My name is Dave Digman, and these are the reasons we give to Marian Methodists. Would you please join me in worshiping God in this way? Will the ushers please come forward?